the last team will go this Tuesday, which is the team that I'll be leading. There's going to be 30 of us. A church in New York is joining us, a, uh, several people from in our own community. And um, by the time June comes, we'll have had 100 people on the ground in Haiti serving uh, our brothers and sisters down there. And again, if you don't know, there's actually a church down there that we've helped to um, basically to plant, to finance, to fund, called Restoration Ministries. And so there's a little church, this little hole in the wall, that is full of our brothers and sisters that we've known for years. We were there before the quake. You know, we're there during the quake. We're going to be there long after the quake providing for these people. God has given us this awesome responsibility and opportunity. And in Michelle uh, and Audrey, two of our very own that are there right now that left this week, Ben, one of our very own, who's been there for, I guess, going almost a month now. He's going to be there for three months. I've actually asked him to send me his wish list for snacks. So I'm going to uh, head over to uh, Walmart. I would, I'm going to predict some sort of salted and cured meats. Um, <laughs> And uh, maybe something sweet. Would you open your Bible with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2? You know, one of the things I could do, because nobody will sit in the front, is I could just move to the back, and then they're in the front. I asked, uh, this, is, this is my pulpit, and I said to my daughter this morning, she said, hey, where should I put the chair? And I said, by the pulpit, and she said, what's that? I was like, hey, that's awesome. My daughter doesn't even know what a pulpit is at nine years old. <laughs> by the time I was nine, I knew very much what a pulpit meant, which was oh, nap time. Um, that or that it was meant that my mother was going to, she could literally slap all four of us simultaneously in the Nazarene church. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, last week we were in Acts chapter 1 and we saw history split in half. We saw Jesus changing everything. Every other God, every other claim that had ever been made has been made by a God. We can't verify it because they're dead. This one we can verify because he ain't dead. He's alive. And this is the promise. He said in John 15, 14, 13, 16, over and over again throughout that passage, I'm, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another comforter to you. And he started, this is it. This was the day. Ten days later, after he flies off into the air like Superman, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, how are all these men who are uh, speaking Galileans. Basically, these guys are a bunch of rednecks from this small little town. How is this even possible? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Lamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea. I mean, basically the entire world is what they're saying, everywhere. Amazed down in verse 12 and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And then Peter 
being full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the purpose of the Holy Spirit, if you were here last week, was to give us power to be witnesses. It's the steam in the engine that powers us to be his witnesses. So Peter, just a couple months ago, is hiding, saying, I don't know him. He's cursing. And now he's standing up in front of the same group of people that just killed Jesus. The same group of people that could very easily crucify him. He's standing up, empowered, and he says, he stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Clearly, they've not seen celebrity rehab, that it is possible to be drunk by nine in the morning. But Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, now Peter, what did Jesus say part of the Holy Spirit? He says, I'll remind you of what I've said to you. So here's Peter standing up, reciting not just the Bible, but like random, seemingly obscure prophecies from Psalms and other places. So he stands up and from memory, it isn't like he opened his Bible like I can. He, He was just from memory. Jesus was reminding him of these things. The Holy Spirit was doing this. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's from the book of Joel, chapter 2. It says, and I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and the glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For those of you, by the way, that wonder, we hear the term the last days. FYI, the last days started here. Now, that was 2,000 years of days ago, which seems like a really long time. But it's why Peter would then later say that, hey, but God isn't slow. He says that he uh, he is patient with us. And that in the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. By God's calendar, this is two days ago. We have entered the last days. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Men of Israel, listen to this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God... I love the but God stuff. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he goes on to talk about in the book of Psalms how David was talking about death would not have a reign over him and how he would have an heir to the throne and Peter tying that together. Again, this random passage from Psalm chapter 16 that I I would assume none of us have, have memorized, but here's Peter rattling it off because the power of the Holy Spirit is on him. He goes on in verse 38 and he says, he replied, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all on whom the Lord our God will call. And then it goes to verse 42, and he says, and then they devoted themselves. By the way, 3,000 people, it says, were added to their number that day. This huge influx of people. And what do you do when, a, when you have a church overnight of 3,000 people? 
You gather them together and you do these simple things. You, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and every, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need, the Spirit again leading them. When the government says do this, that's called socialism. When God leads you to do it, that's just called loving each other. This isn't socialism. This is just us loving each other. It's as the Spirit was prompting, not as the church was forcing. So they were loving each other, had everything in common. And every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. One of the, there's, when you go through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, one of the awesome things about it is that you go through the Bible and the Bible goes through you. And as, as that happens, then your life is changed. It's, uh, Hebrews says that it divides us. It's like surgery, right? The other thing about going through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse that's awesome is you get to talk about everything. You don't get to skip over stuff, which is good because my tendency would be to skip to the good stuff. Like I would skip over the everyone who loves God will suffer persecution and skip right to the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Also, you would skip over the things that are kind of weird and creepy and things that you don't like to talk about, like chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3, where they all spoke with other tongues because that's weird. Paul's, and it's okay to think that's weird. Paul said that's weird. He said that it's foolishness to those that don't believe. Like Paul was admitting, he said, yeah, I'll give you that. That's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. So Paul says it's weird to the unbelievers. To you and I, though, that believe it ought not to be weird. And I think it's important that we talk about it because <laughs> I grew up in a place where they made a really, really, really big deal of it. In fact, they would actually say that it was the, quote, evidence. So if you were filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe you've heard this phrase, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That was called an evidence of it, which is great, except that that's not what the Bible calls it. And I think sometimes in the, in the, in the modern church, we're really good at asking ourselves the wrong questions. Because I'm going to say, is it an evidence? Is it not an evidence? Is it, you know, because there is an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way. But it just isn't that. That's an experience of it. There's all kinds of experiences when the Spirit comes on you that you, that'll happen to you as the Spirit comes on you. The problem, and the reason I think it's important to talk about it, is that there's a lot of folks that have all these different opinions of it. And they would say, some people would, they would say, well, it's, it's, it's not for today, so you're crazy and you're demon-possessed if you do it today. There are others that would say, you have to, and if you don't, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. There are these two different extremes of it. And so what's the truth? Like, how does it, what, is it, what does it mean for us? And, and the stress of then some people, and I've known some of these people. I've, I've had a conversation with somebody two weeks ago that was like, I've, man, I've really sought the Lord about this, and it just hasn't happened for me. And so here's this guy all caught up in this one thing that hasn't happened in his life, and so he feels like he's a failure and that he's missing out on God in his life. Do you see where the confusion can lie? And I guess as I look at it, I think 
It isn't so much of, is it an evidence of the Holy Spirit coming on you, as it is an experience that can happen in your life when the Holy Spirit is involved in your life. But imagine if I went to Universal Studios, and I was all caught up in this one ride, okay? And the whole reason for going to the park was to go to one ride, right? Whether it was Spider-Man ride or the Tower of Terror or, you know. But, but then there are those that would say, well, that ride's too freaky, too scary, so I don't want anything to do with it. There are those that might think, well, that ride's been shut down, and I don't want to go there because the ride's been shut down. Or those that say, oh, man, that's the only reason to go to the park is for that ride. And meanwhile, you've got this entire theme park all around you, and we're sitting here arguing over one ride because of this one experience. And this kind of thing can really divide. And the great news is this. I'm going to get to heaven someday, and you're going to get to heaven someday, and we're going to figure out we all had it just a little bit wrong. Like, oh, duh, didn't see that. But we spend all of our time arguing about chapter 2, verse 1, then we miss the entire rest of the chapter. Which is the real miracle that's going on. Because the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming on us, Jesus says, is love. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13 that you can talk with the tongues of angels and men, but if I don't have love, it's like a clanging cymbal. Without love, it's nothing. The proof of the Spirit coming on my life and your life is love. And I back that up by saying that Jesus says that I've called you in John 15 to bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. So as us, the, the, the proof of a, of a fruit tree, that it is that tree, the proof is the fruit. It's the apple. It's the pear. It's the orange. I was going to say strawberry, but those do not, in fact, grow on trees. Screw up the whole metaphor. The proof of it is that, which is probably why Jesus would then say in Matthew 7, you can go there later, I think it's 15, that by your fruit they will know you. Your fruit and my fruit they will know you, not by whether or not you in fact speak in tongues. Now for the record, I want you to know that it's in the Bible. I know good and wise and smart men that come down on either side of this issue. I personally... I love it, when you, especially when you talk to missionaries, you ask, and I do this a lot, so what's the, how do they, what do they talk about the gifts of the Spirit in, you know, Indonesia or Asia? And they're like, what do you talk about it? We're living it. You know, they don't have, theology debates is something, it's a luxury. They don't have time for that. When you've got a demon-possessed guy rolling into your service, you don't have a luxury to sit around and debate whether or not the gifts are for today. I personally feel that they're for today. I just don't feel that we should get all caught up in an argument over it when we've got plenty of other stuff to do. Jesus says, they'll know them by their fruits. And then in John, he goes on to say, John 13, 35, he would go on to say, that this, by, all, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love your brothers. The proof of the Holy Spirit in our lives is our love for each other. When I get into situations and the Holy Spirit needs to get my back, absolutely, we see in here all the signs and the wonders and awes and miracles. And I know guys that get into some pretty dangerous situations and they kind of need God to show up. I view these as kind of God's air cover for my ground war. And when I'm in a situation where I'm going to be declaring God as the God of all the universe in a Muslim nation, and I kind of need somebody to get up out of a wheelchair to, to show that, God will do that. And he does it all around the world. But that's not the proof of the Spirit. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love. And that's what we see. The greater miracle, because keeping in mind, like speaking in tongues, and this, and it talks about languages and all they understood, all their languages. That's a pretty big miracle, I would say. But a bigger miracle is they, they gathered together, they had all things in common, they sold their possessions to those that had a need. Let me tell you what, that's a big flipping miracle. Because we live in a world that's a look out for our own, take care of ourselves kind of thing. And for in this world, where these folks didn't exactly have capitalism on their side, them giving away all their stuff, that's a big miracle. Us to even show up here this morning, when there are plenty of options outside that involve the sun and water and such, I mean, that's a miracle. Like, we get so caught up in this ethereal thing that we forget that there are amazing miracles going on all around us. It's a miracle that our brothers and sisters are in Haiti today. They don't have to do that. Let me tell you what, Michelle has a job. She's got two little twin babies. She's got a husband. She's got plenty to do. It's a miracle when God moves on somebody's life to go do something like that. It's a miracle that Jay, on Monday nights, opens his home, cooks, God only knows what, amazing food, and invites a bunch of people in that have no ability to repay him, no ability to give him anything in return for that. That's a miracle. That's the Holy Spirit flowing through him. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, Paul tells us, that the fruit of the Spirit, he's talking about the, the evil of the flesh and the product of the flesh, but he says in verse 22 of chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says, I've called you to bear fruit. And Paul here describes what that fruit is going to look like. That it, my fruit tree, if you will, is going to look like this. It's going to be patient. It's going to be kind. It's going to be loving. And you might think, Darren, that's great. But that's not really working in my life right now. And you know what? I got good news for you. It's not working all the time in my life either. I can be a jerk. You got a 50-50 shot. When I am left to my own devices, when I am left to my own nature, man, I can be kind of a little bit of a jerk. And so can you. This is not natural. This isn't something that just flows from within us. When you're born, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you get to see as cute as little baby Elliot is. Let me tell you what she's thinking about right now. Her, okay? It's all she knows is food, sleep, rest. I can't even say it, but I can scream it. Because that's our nature is us. That's how in this world that we're born into is us, 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 us. And this isn't natural to be loving and to be kind and to be self-controlled and patient, to not keep track of the wrongs that have been done to me. I mean, that's fun to keep track of wrongs that have been done to me so that I could keep a good record in case I want to not do something nice for them. It's not natural. It's natural to lose it with your kids. It's natural to lose it with your spouse. This, on the other hand, is the fruit of the Spirit. How on earth does it work? 
How can it actually play out in my life? The great news, just like it always is with Jesus, just like it always is with the gospel, is it's so much easier than we make it be. Because Jesus gives us the secret in John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that he will, it will even be more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then verse 4, remain in me. The, the King James, it says abide, live in me, and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you said, hey, Darren, I'd like to get some apples, and I went down to an apple tree and just saw the branch off and brought it home, so that it could give you a constant source of apples, you would say, that's stupid. And you would be right. And then you would probably be seeing me in jail because I'm sawing down someone else's apple tree. It doesn't work that way. Abiding in him is how fruit flows from me. I can't do it on my own. And that's great news for me. Because I'm not supposed to. Because I suck at it. And so do you. If you don't think so, just ask somebody. If they're being truthful. That's just what we do. It's not natural for us. But if I'm abiding in him, remaining in him, and he in me, then I will bear fruit. I can't go chop my branch off and go home and hope to be bearing fruit. It just doesn't work that way. He says in verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me, and me in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he goes on to talk about what that looks like. And it says in verse 8, that this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. And he goes on to say, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, if you obey my commands. You'll remain in my love. See, the thing that we tend to want to do is to make this really, really complicated and difficult. Because I'm going to force it. And if you've been around, I think I said it last week, so I don't mean to overuse a metaphor. But when I'm driving down the street and if I go by like Arrington Vineyards, I don't see the vines out there like stressing out and freaking out trying to make grapes. They just do. They do it because of something that's already happened in their life. There was a, a fertilization. There was being grounded. There was water involved. And when all those things happen, then quite naturally and quite on its own, that fruit just happens. And so instead of us, instead of me, instead of you, trying to make myself do this, instead of trying to make myself be a nice guy, knowing that quite honestly it ain't going to work anyway, Instead of starting with that, start with just abiding in him. David talks about a tree planted by the rivers of water. Water is used as a metaphor for the spirit. It's also used as a metaphor for the word. When I'm remaining, when I'm abiding in him, when I am knowing him, the more I get to know my wife, the more I love her. I've been married 15 years, and I constantly find a new things. Like, that's awesome. I joked once that... <laughs> 
I, for a short period of time, I got a, a luxury car, which I'm a white trash kid from Nebraska. I had no business in it. But like, it was a constant journey of finding new stuff that it did. Like, I, I remember one morning, I'm like, I wonder what that button does. And I hit this button, and this little thing goes up behind me, this little screen that protects the sun. I'm like, oh, it's like the Batmobile. But I was constantly, the more I was in it, the more I figured out that it kept doing new stuff. The more I love my wife, the more I get to know the Father, the more I get to know the Lord, the more I love Him. As I abide in Him, as we go through this, just being here, when you're going through the Bible, we just read the Scripture. You think you just read, but no, that's not true. Something supernatural happens. The Word goes into you. God's breathed Word goes through you, and that water of the Word changes your heart. It it does surgery on you. And One passage in Jeremiah actually talks about how it molds your heart. If it's hardened, it softens it. The word does it. When you abide in him, those things just happen. They're just a natural thing because you and I, at the end of the day, were created to do this very thing, to bear fruit. Jesus says that I have called you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Everything else we do, that's our job. What are we called to do? We're called to bear fruit. If I'm doing my job, I ought to be bearing fruit while I do my job. If I'm a stay-at-home mom, I ought to be bearing fruit while I'm doing that. That's what God has called me to do. And the great news is, is you'll never be more fulfilled than when you're doing what you're created to do. When you're bearing fruit, and I'm telling you, you don't don't force yourself to do it because you're going to go home today and you're going to blow it again. You're going to think, oh man, I suck at this. Yeah, you do, and so do I. But you abide in him, and this is a process Those grapes at Arrington Vineyard, they didn't pop up overnight. There was work involved in that. It took time. Work, by the way, not in you, your work, but the work of the gardener, of the farmer, of our father in our lives. And all we got to do is believe and abide. And as we do that, that fruit will come out of us. And here's what it looks like. And this is a, a little treat for you young men in here today. The book of Song of Solomon. Come on, that was funny, right? No? Jesus, there's such a picture here. Every book, every chapter, every, every as, as Paul would say, every jot and tittle was God-breathed and God-inspired. And in this vignette, in this poem, is a picture of what it's supposed to look like with the fruit that is in our lives and as it looks to the world around us. And it says in chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna, and look, one of my favorite fruits ever, the nard. Boy, I tell you, if I have, just really craving a nard right about now. And saffron and calamus and cinnamon and every kind of incense tree with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden, a fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down. This, the, the, this is the, the metaphor of the king talking to his lover. Jesus talking to us, and this is you. You're great, and it's this romantic thing, and the, the king saying to his wife, look at your garden, it's awesome, you rock. Get some dirt under your fingernails, but that's cool. It says, awake, north wind. Come, south wind, and blow on my garden that his fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. This is her talking to the king now. Come in and taste the fruits. And look at this. this is, you talk about romantic, guys. This is awesome. 
And I have come into my garden, my sister and my bride. This is the king. This is Jesus talking. And I have gathered my myrrh with my spice, and I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey, and I've drunk my wine and my milk. And he's saying, you've done awesome. This is great. Jesus come into your life saying, you're doing it. You're abiding in me. There's fragrant. There's giving. There's amazing. There's love. There's self-control. And hey, bring my friends with me. Oh, friends, it says, drink. Drink your fill. Jesus, the lover of the king, is saying, hey, party time at my wife's house. The fruit that I've created, Jesus, it doesn't sound very romantic. Hey, high five. You're bringing the bros over. He's saying that that fruit that I have created that in you, in your garden, the thing that's happening in you, that in your garden isn't for you anyway. It's for the king and for his friends. Because let me tell you, the best way to find out whether your fruit is good or not is let somebody take a bite of it. Let somebody come and pick on you a little bit. Pick on your fruit. Pop it off. That hurt. How's your response? That's your taste test. I appreciate the Coke, Pepsi, all that taste test stuff. Taste test, does it taste good? We had some fruit over here this morning that tasted a little bit like a carrot wrapped in a donut. I don't know how else to explain it. It was this weird texture. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. It did not pass the taste test. I was practicing for Haiti. I'm like, I don't know what it is. I'll eat it. You know, that's what we're going to be doing. <laughs> you just eat it. You'll see what happens. But we tasted the fruit, and most of it tasted great. And in our lives, when we're faking that fruit, when we do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, when I'm just, I'm just going to do it without love, they're going to take a bite. And let me tell you what, there's some really good-looking fake fruit in, the, in our world, and it tastes awful. If you've ever taken a bite of something that isn't real, oh. And the great news of all is this. I don't even have to do it because it's God doing it through me. It's the gardener in me. And I want to... I do want to circle back to one thing because you might have said, hey, Darren, I noticed you skipped over something. Because some of you in here, if you're like me, you might be thinking, that's great, Darren, but you have no idea how bad I am at this, how bad I have been. And I noticed that you skipped over and didn't say anything about verse 1 in chapter 15 where he says that if my father's the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Man, I'm hosed because I haven't borne any fruit. I'm not one of those guys that's in Haiti. I yell at my kids. I yelled at my husband. I I'm yelled at my wife. I'm not bearing fruit in my job. I'm a jerk. I'm mean to my employees. I'm not bearing fruit. Am I, am I hosed? Is this bad news? He says, I cut off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. That word cuts off in the original Greek is a word called iros. In the book of Luke where it says that Jesus lifted his head up, it's that word, it's iros. It's lifting up. When you go to a vineyard and you see that the, the, the branches, sometimes they get, with the rain and the dirt, they get kind of packed down in the mud. And sometimes you've got to come by and you've got to iros the branches. You've got to lift them up. And that word prunes is the word katharos, which is where we get our word catharsis, cleaning. It's lifting up out of the mud and cleaning. So God's not angry at you. God's just saying, hey, yeah, you might be stuck in the mud a little bit, but I'm the gardener. I'm going to come along, and I'm going to lift up your branches. I'm going to iros your branches, lift it up, and then I'm going to prune them. I'm going to clean them so that it will be even more fruitful. And listen to this. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. 
This isn't a bummer. This isn't a burden. This isn't a, like a oh, we're bad news. This is, there's mercy even in this. Our gardener says, yeah, I'm coming to lift you up and I'm coming to clean you off so that you can then bear more fruit. Fruit that will last. And as a church, not just individually, but corporately, and it's my desire that we just be fruitful. We be fruitful to the community in front of us that we're just loving and patient and, and self-controlled and in the situation with the school that we could, we could learn and, and find ways to love the school. That we could find ways to love our neighbors, our employees, our coworkers, our family. And we do that by abiding in him, by going through the word, by planting ourselves by the river, by by being that tree that bears fruit. We do that by what we see right now in Haiti, that there are those that have been abiding in the word and that that fruit is revealing itself there by loving these people that have absolutely nothing, no possible way to repay us at all. When Jesus says to love our neighbors as ourselves, obviously I, I clothe and I house and I feed myself, then I ought to love and house and clothe and feed my neighbors as the Lord makes it possible for us. And as a church, man, I'm happy to report that we're doing that in Jacmel, Haiti. That we see people in our own midst that are out, like David Whetstone, you met him last week. It'll probably be the last time you see him for a year because he's going to be out and about just going. There, there's fruit coming out of our midst already. I don't want to make it you feel like if you're not doing that, though, that you're not fruitful. Because there's plenty of fruit that needs to be born in our own community and in our own lives. And if all of us just be the branch that God has called us to be, then the body of Christ is this beautiful, beautiful orchard. It's a beautiful garden that bears fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The evidence of the Spirit in our lives is love. And in Acts 2.42 We see that they lived together, they prayed together, they broke bread together. And that word fellowship, by the way, doesn't just mean we just hung out and watched a movie. It's literally living life in community together, sharing in your needs with each other. That's church, that's love, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the best part. Jesus When he talked about let your light shine before men, you remember that passage, to let your light shine before men in Matthew. And he says that they might see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. Being his witness, man, if you suck at going out and passing out tracts, good, so do I. That isn't supposed to be what we're doing anyway. We're supposed to be, as we're doing these good works, that gives glory to God in heaven as a church. Peter says, let your good works, in 1 Peter 5, refute the talk of stupid and evil men. Our good works as a church that are, again, that are just natural, that just flow from us because we're attached to the vine. It isn't a burden. It's not a bummer. That that will be the witness. It is the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. It's the caught in the act. It's the picture. It's the, the, the witness testimony, the best kind of evidence you can have. Caught in the act. And that they will give glory to our Father in heaven. That, if you don't know how to, like I said, pass out tracts, that's great. You can serve 
your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because, and we've seen it already. We've seen, I was talking to Michelle this week. She's having conversations with her people at work, her, her family. Her, her even leaving for Haiti caused a conversation with her mother who she feels might be away from the Lord because her good works caused those questions. Peter says to be ready to give an answer when anyone has a question about your faith. And I don't know about you, but if I'm just hanging out and checking in and clocking in at church on Sundays and clocking out, nobody's really asking me about my faith. But when I'm loving and reacting in, in bad situations and God is still working in my life, people want to know about that. They want, to see, they, they want to know, how is that possible? And you could say, I don't know, it's not me, it's my father. It's, it, it's an absolute, gives you a prepared answer for that. So as a church, I'm so excited we're so small, we're so infantile, we're so little. But isn't that God's story over and over again in Scripture to take little groups and do big things? Gideon, you had too many. There's 30,000. Trim it down. And then I could get glory to God in heaven. I don't know what the story of the future of Conduit Church is other than we're going to be fruitful. We're going to be, as Jacob said to Joseph in Genesis 49 on his death, but he says, you are a fruitful vine. Your vines run over the wall. Plenty of fruit for everybody. As a church, let that be our blessing. Let that be our prophecy, if you will, that we're a fruitful vine with fruit vines that run over the walls of this building and into our community and into the world, the fruit of love, the, the agape, the God kind of love that just naturally will flow from that. Father, we are challenged by your word and at the same time we are encouraged that anyone in here that might have had that feeling that I'm not fruitful and I don't want to be chopped off to know that that's, that's not your promise for me this morning. Your promise for me, God, is that you're going to lift us up. You're going to clean us off that we might bear more fruit. We're clean because of the words that were spoken to us through you. And God, might you speak to us this morning. about those areas that we could abide in you, that we could plant ourselves in your word and in your presence so that that fruit might flow just naturally from us. And for our brothers and sisters in Haiti in this rainy season, Lord, that you would give them peace, you would give them comfort, and you would also show us what we can do, that we not just think about it, but that we act on it with the information that you give us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.